all ninjas, calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. I don't know how many years into being sick, like seven years into being sick, I finally got my hormones and neurotransmitters tested. And when I began bioidentical hormone replacement and um, amino acid therapy, to re kind of you know balance out my neurotransmitters, it did wonders for my mind and my emotion. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns, that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 221 with author Connie Strasheim. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you will learn three main things. Number one, about Connie's new book, Healthy, Happy, and Free, Spirit, Soul, Body Solutions for Healing from Depression, how recovering your mental health is a big part of recovering from Lyme, and why you need Lyme friends and non-Lyme friends on your healing journey. Thanks, Aurora, and a Big shout out to all you longtime Lime Ninjas. You're the reason we have half a million downloads. Aurora and I really appreciate you tuning in. And we'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. You're now officially a Lime Ninja. Yes, welcome. And as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week we have listeners join you from all over the world. This past week we've had listeners tune in from Spain to Switzerland and from New Zealand to the Netherlands. Okay, Aurora, thanks for that. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about this week's guest, Connie Strasheim. Connie Strasheim is the author, co-author, and ghostwriter of 10 wellness books, including four on Lyme disease, two on cancer, and one on spiritual wellness. In addition to authoring books, Connie is a copywriter and editor for the Alternative Cancer Research Institute and ProHealth's Lyme disease website, as well as a healing prayer minister. Thank you, Aurora. And here is our interview with author Connie Strasheim. McKay, it's so great to be here with you again today. I am thrilled to speak with you, and you have another book. Yes, I do, and it's called Happy, Healthy, and Free, Spirit, Soul, Body Solutions for Healing from Depression, and although it is written 
for anybody with depression or anxiety, really anxiety too. It's targeted to those with neurological disease because it's based on my own battle and what I've learned about how to overcome depression um, based on my battle with trauma, chronic illness, and many other things. Like Lyme disease. Yeah, like Lyme disease, mold illness, environmental toxicity, and... um, you know, I could just talk and go on and on, but I'm going to let you ask me the questions and we'll see where we go from there. Well, well, let's let's start there. It's like, what was in your, I'm going to call it a trash can <laughs> instead of a bucket. Yeah. It's like, what was, yeah. what, what trash was in there? So you had Lyme disease, you had mold. What else was in there? Yeah. Well, I want to say my battle with depression actually started in childhood because I um, had a pretty traumatic upbringing and So when you're, you know, you grow up in trauma, lots of fear, things like that, it puts your brain in a state of fight or flight. And, um, and then that in turn weakens the immune system and it opens the door, I believe, for toxins and infections to flourish. Now, a lot of us are getting sick with infections and toxins from the environment, but I believe that there's a bigger open door for that when you've had trauma or you've had anything that sets the stage for your mind and emotions to be in disarray. So yeah, my battle started there. And it's interesting, McKay, because, and I think I may have shared this in my other interview with you, but um, three years before I became ill with Lyme disease, I had had a couple other traumatic things happen to me. And I think I mentioned in my last interview with you that I was based in New York when 9-11 happened. I was a flight attendant for United and I knew people on those airplanes that died. And um, that in conjunction with another traumatic thing that happened, it like put it like triggered all the fight, fight or flight stuff from my childhood. And I began to live in such a heightened state of fear. And because of the fear, I was depressed because I was just walking around like waiting for the next shoe to drop. And I knew that my body would break down if I couldn't get it under control. It was really interesting. And about three years later, that's exactly what happened. As I, and I got sick. And then I was diagnosed with Lyme. And so that was kind of the initial um, trigger for that. But then when, when I got Lyme disease, it's like the depression multiplied exponentially. It was just like one of those things I wake up in the morning, I couldn't even make it to the coffee maker before I'd be in tears. And, you know, I remember, um, and this is just to give people a magnet, an idea of the kind of depression I was dealing with. You know, I'd walk into a store and I'd stand there in the aisle for like, I remember one time standing in an aisle for three hours trying to make a decision about a piece of clothing to buy. And and I just, and then I left crying. I was like, how could I just stand in this aisle for three hours? I can't make a decision. And, um, and then you have on top of the physiological stuff that Lyme causes, there's the situational um, problems that, that can also create depression, you know, losing friends and family, losing your job, not being able to function and all of that. Just, it's like this great big snowball after a while. And it's like, then you're not, and then it's like a chicken and egg issue. Like, you know, is my mind making my body sick? Is my body making my mind sick? And, and, and I just, and that I believe is, um, you know, a lot of people who would say, well, I don't really have depression if you kind of think about, well, are you happy on a day-to-day basis or do you feel hope on a day-to-day basis? Those are some good questions to ask to determine the state of your mind because I feel that, you know, our mind and our emotions control our healing more than anything else. And that was one of the reasons that I wrote this book, first of all, because I want to let people who are battling depression or anxiety know that I understand on some level what they're going through and that there are answers that it can be overcome, but also because... um you know, your mind 
does control your chemistry. And if you can find ways to get yourself in a place of greater hope, greater peace, greater joy, then it, it makes everything else that you do to heal from Lyme that much more successful, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And in college, I had a depressive episode. I think it lasted about a year. And mm. during that time, if anybody would have asked me, are you depressed? Mm-hmm. Are you lacking joy? Any of those questions, it would have been no. And I, it didn't really dawn on me until I started feeling better for just mm-hmm. no reason. I don't know. Spring came. I changed my diet. I have no idea why I started feeling better. Anyway, but anyway, I started feeling better and looked back and said, holy smokes, I was in a pretty rough space. So a lot of times it's like that frog in the, you know, the slowly heating waters. You don't realize how deep things have gotten. Yeah. Uh, and, until, until something, you know, the fish jumps out of the water, until we jump out of the water and say, oh my goodness, I'm in water. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. So but I'm you, glad you overcame that. Yeah, yeah go ahead. It, it, was, it was just dumb luck, you know. So there's mm-hmm. nothing. I didn't know I was had a problem, and I didn't know I didn't do anything special to get out of it. But it was it was an eye opening experience that you can kind of just be that mid level functioning, mid to low level functioning for a long time, and really have no self awareness that it's going on. I think that that was the main thing. It's like well, you know, because we oh yeah, I know how I'm doing. You know, I check in. Yeah, okay, but I was no yeah. clue. Maybe it's just a yeah. young man, you know, I'm 20, 21 years old, whatever. Maybe I was just clueless. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, McKay, I never considered myself depressed either until I realized I was like, I'm not really happy and I'm having all these catastrophic negative thoughts and I'm frequently battling hopelessness and stuff. And and then I was like, okay, well, this isn't really good for your healing and you're, you, you may not get well until you can do some things to address that. And one thing, another thing that um, motivated me to write this book is the fact that most resources that I've found on depression, they address only one aspect of the person, you know, either they're, you know, a book that talks about how you, what you can do to heal the chemistry. Um, And and sadly, I, I still haven't seen enough, I think, as far as like natural approaches to healing from depression, which is a lot of what I talk about in my book, because most people go to the doctor, they get an antidepressant, which, you know, if you need to take an antidepressant for a while, that's fine, but it's not going to get to the root and, and heal the brain and the body. But I, I, you know, I, I realized it was a, a problem of, of spirit, soul, and body. And so you've got to address the whole person. And the more you can do that, I think, for most people anyway, the more complete healing you're going to see from it. I heard a phrase once, and it was asking, are, are you winning in therapy? So mm-hmm. it, it strikes, you know, that that's, that's probably a pretty good question to ask about Lyme disease. Are you winning? You know, who's winning? Are, you, are the bugs winning or are you winning? So here's, here's, would you, do you think you would have come out of your depression if you were not winning with the Lyme disease? I think that it depends because the Lyme really affected my mind. And so I think I had to get on top of that to some extent. But I also realized that the more I focused on illness, the more depressed I became. And so I had to find this little balance. And, you know, trust me, this is still a day-to-day thing for me. And so many people I know is um, being able to take care of the issue without making it the focus of your day. And I know that's really hard when you have a lot of 
symptoms and stuff, but the more you can feed healthy pathways in your brain by meditating on the things that are good, you know, the things that are positive. And, and some people go like, well, that's impossible. You know, I, my, my chemistry is such a mess. And, and I totally get that feeling. But, you know, um, a lot of we can actually retrain our brains to think better thoughts, even when the chemistry is a mess. And it's very challenging in the beginning, but it actually can be done in the brain retraining programs that are out there now are a good illustration of this, you know, um, you know, the dynamic neural retraining, amygdala retraining and that, that sort of thing. And, and it really, when I started doing those programs, it like showed me how powerful your mind really is, even when it's filled with chaos. And, um, and I started working on the depression years before I learned about those programs, but, um, but they were, they have been one of the most important tools for me. And so I just want to encourage everyone with that. So yeah, that's, but absolutely, you know, it's, um, I think that I had to do, there were things that I had to do medically to get before I could get a better grip on my, uh, the, you know, the, the depression, because there are a lot of factors that cause depression, McKay. It's like, in a, and I'll just say physiologically and with regards to Lyme, you know, the infections, inflammation, inflammation in the brain is a major cause of depression, you know, and most people probably don't think of that. Um, hormonal imbalances, neurotransmitter imbalances, nutrient deficiencies, um, too much of other, you know, chemicals in the body and, and just neuro and then toxins, just, you know, the toxins themselves. And so those are some of those that come off the top of my head. Your gut health also influences your mind and your emotions. And in people with Lyme, the gut is really compromised. The liver's compromised. Your liver also affects your mind. And so um, by doing whatever you can medically to get your chemistry in alignment can really help. And so for me, for instance, um, two things that I did, and this is probably like, gosh, I don't know how many years into being sick, like seven years into being sick, I finally got my hormones and neurotransmitters tested. And when I began bioidentical hormone replacement and um, amino acid therapy to re kind of, you know, balance out my neurotransmitters, it did wonders for my mind and my emotions. And it wasn't the, the be all and end all, but it really, really made a difference. So, you know, things like tryptophan and tyrosine, but I also had to take them with the proper methylators because without those, I felt worse. And so, you know, the, you, you want to look at things like that too. You want to make sure that your body can actually uh, utilize what you're giving it. So anyway, before I could go on a big, long rabbit trail with that, but I'll let you tell me where you want to go with what I just said. Uh, did you get your genetics tested to help with that or was it trial and error? No, you know, it was actually, no, I didn't do my gene testing right away. Um, I did that later. And I think it was actually you who told me that I had a double mutation in um, a particular gene that is responsible for um, breaking down neurotransmitters or creating neurotransmitters. And you had said to me that you had only met one other person with that double mutation. And you said she had crippling psychiatric issues. And oh, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I forget what gene it was, but it was kind of validating to me. But it was also kind of exciting to hear because it was like, wow, you, I could still help my, you know, my genes by doing these, by taking supplements that would help my chemistry work better. And now I still need to take that stuff. You know, I still have to take 
um, 5-HTP and tyrosine, my dopamine is has been classically low, has been really low because it's also Parkinson's runs in my family and stuff. And so dopamine, I mean, tyrosine is kind of a crucial thing for me. But, but the methylators are really what made them work well in the body because when I first tried amino acids, I felt worse. And some people will say, I've done aminos, I don't feel any different or I feel worse. And sometimes that's because either the balance of aminos is wrong or, you know, you need different amino acids or you need methylators or cofactors to help them work better in the body. So things like, you know, uh, methyl B12, SAMe, but um, it's good to, you know, know your genetics, but also get testing to find out how well your body's metabolizing these things. So there are a number of labs that do that now. So that was like one part of the, the biochemical picture for me. Um, and another Actually, I'll let you respond. I just keep, I just want to keep going on and on, and I, I want to make sure I <laughs> make, make this interactive, right? <laughs> well, so far you're doing great. So I will, I'm happy to interrupt. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, and another thing was that I really, that really helped a lot was dealing with inflammation in my brain. Yeah. And so, you know, mast cell activation. Um, which happened to me when I got exposed to mold, really um, through a new layer on the depression that I was dealing with. And, and mast cell activation, you know, creates a release of histamine from the mast cells, which are a type of immune cell in your body. And when I got on a um, low dose of a prescription antihistamine, compounded antihistamine, ketotophen, to reduce that, I it just, it helped dramatically. And, you know, there are a number of agents that, that um, you can use to lower inflammation, you know, things like curcumin, although you want to make sure that your cells are actually getting it because it's one of those things that's not very bioavailable to the body. Um, So you have things like that, um, Chinese skull cap, which I believe that's discussed in Dr. Neil Nathan's recent book called Toxic. Um, Ketotovin, I found to be, again, really a good one. Um, quercetin, but it, it, it depends on the individual as well. So anything you can do to get inflammation down and especially diet. I mean, if there's anything I think that can affect the chemistry of the body more than anything, it's being on a diet that is highly anti-inflammatory. So, okay, um, let's, you know, yeah, let's, pa- let's, let's pause that. there because there's so much. <laughs> let's unpack a little yeah. bit of that. So sure, first question sure. is, are you still taking the antihistamine or are you graduated? Yeah, I'm still taking it because I'm still being exposed to mold. Oh, okay. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Where's it coming? Where's the mold coming from? It's in the air. It's not in our, you know, here's the other thing that I, and I, we could do a whole nother interview on this one, but, um, the, you know, there's so much talk these days about having mold, you know, being living in a mold free environment. But what I'm finding from people that have done like radical mold avoidance and stuff is that a lot of the mold that's making people out that's making people sick is actually coming from the outdoors. It's not, um, you know, and I think it's being dumped on us from chemtrails and stuff. And, and so I live in Dallas and, um, this is, this is a pretty moldy place. So, um, while our home doesn't have mold outdoors, there are mold spores that are coming in. And the reason I know that is because I did a plate test and there were high levels. What's a plate test? Oh, okay. So like, um, a, a culture test, so you can buy these little culture plates where you that that will uh, test for different types of mold in the environment. And it's not like a test that will test for everything that's out there, but it can give you an idea of what's going on. And so what they what it does is it cultures. If there's any mold in the air, it'll grow on this culture plate. And so I got a culture plate, and and I tested five different locations throughout the home. 
And when I tested, um, I put one close to the front door and the mold spore, there were mold spores that grew on that one, but not anywhere else in the house. And so I called somebody who knows, who knows a lot about this, you know, mold remediator guy. And he said, oh, yeah, he goes, that type of mold is an outdoor mold. And, and he goes, and it easily colonizes on furniture. So all you have to do, I think, is like open your front door and then it comes in and, you know, it can get in the furniture and awesome. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't that, you know, and so, um, and uh, Brian Rosner, who has published some of my books, is doing radical mold avoidance. And he has said to me that, you know, becoming unmasked from mold as a result of being out of mold has taught him that he's actually most reactive to outdoor mold rather than in, than some indoor in, mold. Indoor and so, mold, huh? yeah. And so it makes me think that this puzzle with mold is a lot more um, complex than people think. And you really, there, there aren't that many places in the United States that you could say are mold free. You know, you've got to live well, in a rural area that's really dry out in kind of the, the pristine wilderness and stuff. So I think the concept of being in a mold-free environment is really, um, it's just, it, you know, it doesn't almost exist. But um, not, to, not to be depressing about that. I think that, <laughs> that you can still heal with, with some of that going on. So anyway, I, you know, I have still needed to take that because of our exposures here because we need to be near um, the heart hospital where my sweetheart Bill goes and gets treatments and stuff like that. But I do think that, you know, as EMS increase in the environment, the mold's going to increase and and then um, we may need to do um, some different things in order to get well. But there, that was a very long answer to your question. It makes me think I need to do an interview with you on mold as well. <laughs> well, we probably should. And, you know, mold mold is... Mold's part of our environment. That's what I want to say. It's mm-hmm. part of the soil. It's it's yeah. actually a healthy part of the soil. There are some people who believe that you know, once we started really doing a lot of antifungals on crops, mm-hmm. and when, once you start doing farming as a big business rather than as, as a family operation, then you have to worry about yield. And if you've got... You know, I've got a brother-in-law who's a potato farmer consultant expert who, who does this for a living. And um, you, you, you can't lose. They've got too much invested. You can't lose your crop of potatoes. And we're, we're talking about millions of pounds of tomatoes off of one farm. So it's just, it's unthinkably large. So once you start spraying, it's just mm-hmm. like taking antibiotics in your gut. The only ones who survive are the mm-hmm. bad actors. So, mm-hmm. and they're in the greater numbers and the beneficial who can do some combatant against them aren't around as much. So in some ways we're creating an environment in which only toxic substances survive. And we're not doing it on purpose necessarily in the case of the farming here, but that's what yeah. happens, you know, cause it's a blind spot, you know, glyphosate's probably doing the same thing, but we've had antifungals long, long before, glyphosate was out there so it's you know the mold that is flying around naturally you know so well how come there's been molds before the dinosaurs absolutely but it's probably not in the same proportions or even the same the same type of mold well it's the same type but it's stronger it's like you know biker mold (laughs) sorry bikers out there but it's just it's nasty (laughs) you know yeah terrorist mold right and and with it you know what people or some people believe is that because of all the chemical toxins in the environment and the electromagnetic toxins, that this is, that this has made mold more virulent. And it, you know, 
and it's and that's what's made it a problem is the, the combination of the mold with the chemicals in the electromagnetic fields and and stuff like that. But you know, in any case, I I believe that. I, I believe in a God that's above all this stuff and that there's always an answer. You know, there's always a countermeasure for everything that's evil. But um, sometimes it's not always obvious what that is. Um, but, yeah, for the sure. The solutions, we, yeah. right. The solutions always lag behind the problem. Always, always. And then mm-hmm. often the solution creates another problem. But that's another story for sure. for an, yeah. another another day. Now, the other thing I want to bring up with inflammation is I've been. We're gonna. I don't want to get stuck here in biochemistry, but we're here for now. And yeah, let me just sure. give it some context. So zoom way back out again. And we're not saying that depression is all biochemistry here. We're just having a nice conversation about it. And it is, it's a two way street, right? The, your biochemistry can absolutely make you depressed, but also your depression can make your biochemistry a mess as well. It's both ways. And what we were here beginning to hear with Bonnie was like, she did a little bit over here on the mental side and getting her mind right with some imagery stuff. And then she went over here and did some physiological stuff and that helped a little bit and got her to another rung on the ladder. And then she went over and, you know, did some other work here on the physiological stuff and found some nutritional stuff and some diet stuff. So it's, you know, it's, you know, it's bootstrapping, right? It's not just, okay, we're going to find the one answer and one key. And all of a sudden we're going to go from the ground floor to the penthouse and feeling great. It's no, you have to, you're climbing the stairs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and, it's tough. it, It depends on the person too. I think McKay, because some people might do one or two things and find it really changes things. But what I found is that for me, it was not that way. It was quite a process. But by addressing the biochemical stuff first, the physiological causes, it enabled me to work on the lifestyle and the spiritual stuff. Because, you know, it's like, because when you're depressed, you can't, it affects your motivation, it affects your outlook and everything. And so if you can work on that piece, um, first or in combination with these other things, then it oftentimes enables you to address the issues of the soul and the spirit. But conversely, people that have a very strong faith in, you know, the power of the spirit to overcome and the power of God, um, I've also seen miracle healings. You know, my sis- I uh, have a sister that was addicted to crystal meth, and she uh, was supernaturally healed of the addiction. And, and it was something, you know, Anyway, she she went to God and just said, "Hey, remove this," and and was very sincere and said, "I can't do this on my own." And and you know, and she just got healed from that the addiction. And um, but you know, for it's it's a different journey for all of us for sure. There, is, we need to keep space for miracles. It is absolutely possible. There's all the our we're so smart. We know so much. And I don't mean individually, but there's so much information out there. But there's always the space for just things to instantly transform. And we it's important not to forget that. It's like keep that yeah. possibility open. It's not you know, you know, you don't necessarily hope for it or bank on it or count on it, you know. You still have to do the groundwork and do all the work and sometimes sometimes you're filled with grace and sometimes you're not. Um Yeah. But yeah. but I think, like you said, the, it's okay to have miracles in your life, and they can happen to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> excuse me. I and and one thing that I believe, you know, you often he- see that when we talk about healing the whole person, it's represented as healing body, soul, and spirit. But I actually believe that we're a spirit with a soul and a body, not a body with a soul and a spirit. Say and that, that again. Seems, I say that yeah. again. 
So, <laughs> yeah, so normally when we talk about healing the whole person, you know, people will say healing in body, soul, and spirit. But I turn it around and I say healing in spirit, soul, and body because I don't believe that we're a body with a soul and a spirit. We're a spirit with a soul and a body. And that distinction, the reason that matters is because if your spirit is the highest part of who you are, then your spirit can control your soul and your body, okay? Because it's your spirit is that part of you that, that communes with God or the creator. And, um, and there's a supernatural power. Um, we have access to a supernatural power there that can affect the soul and the body. But most of us, you know, that seems kind of like vague and esoteric and stuff. And so a lot of people don't go there, but, um, there's actually, we have access to a higher level of provision in that realm. And so my, you know, in recent years, I've been focusing a lot more in that space. And that's a lot of what I write about in the book as well is, is telling people how to, um, you know, have a relationship with God and how to access that higher level of healing, because that can transform your body as well, because there's more power um, on the, in the, you know, in that realm than people realize. So anyway, but that's, um, you know, so that's a, a lot of that what I talk about as well. So if in your definition here, the spirit's the highest connection with mm -hmm. God, with a higher power, however you mm -hmm. out there want to phrase that, then what's the soul? And so the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. Okay. And, and so the, and so the, the spirit connects with the mind, the will, and the emotions, which in turn affect the chemistry. Now, of course, if you've been, sick a really long time, it's almost like you can feel like your body's controlling the soul and the spirit. But the more you you feed um, or work at the higher two levels, the less impact the body's going to have on you. And so brain training is an example of that because brain training works at the second level. It works at the level of the soul. And that's one reason I think I've seen more healing with that than I have with a lot of let's say, biochemical or, well, treatment approaches to Lyme disease. And, and don't get me wrong, I think treatment is very necessary sometimes. But I've also met a number of people that have been healed just through retraining their mind alone. And because and the, and the reason I think that that's so effective is because our minds were designed to be able to control our bodies. But the level of the mind and the emotions is, isn't even the highest level of healing there is. There's, you know, there's a level above that, and it's the, it's the human spirit that connects with God. So... Um, you know, I talk about practical ways in the book that that people can come to know God and why. And, and furthermore, it's I believe, and this is I'll just say this based on um, scriptures in the Bible. I believe it's God's will for everybody to be well. And we don't all get like a healing miracle, but there's actually a lot of scripture that talks about that and why that's true. And so, if anyone wants to look into that, you know, you can check out the book. But I mean. And if you think about it, McKay, it's like, if we think about a creator who loves us and wants us to be well, I mean, how much more would that help our healing, you know, than if we think about a God or a creator who's punishing and just wants us to, to be sick to teach us a lesson? I, I just, I don't see that. And I, that's, that's, not, that's not the God I know anyway, so... Um, <laughs> and so if you, if you got someone supernatural, you know, a divine power on your side, how much more is that going to help you in your healing? You know what I mean? It can't hurt. It's it's funny what you're describing is one aspect of Chinese medicine. They flip your definition. Well, I'll say I flip it, um, and that the soul is kind of the eternal part connected with God, and that the spirit's 
and let's say spirits are are the, uh, the kind of the level at which acupuncture works. So acu- in, in your model, acupuncture works on the soul level. So what, but, but what does that mean? Well, nature, nature, if this is how I understand, nature has a design to it, right? And I'm not, mm-hmm. we're not, let's, let's put aside, you know, creationism. I'm not talking creationism. There's a way things work. You know, there's a way glutathione mm-hmm. is made in your body. That's a design, right? It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if somebody designed mm-hmm. it or not. So that's what I'm talking about. So don't go all, I know we're talking a lot about religion and, and, and belief here, not even religion. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about belief Mm-mm. and God. Right. So let's, right. you know, let's put that aside and let's, there are patterns out in nature. There's the things where rain falls down. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. You know, yeah. that's what, the, they're just the way things work. You know, water flows down the mountain, not up the mountain. It's just, they're fundamental laws on the way things work. Sure. Right? They're patterns of yeah. work. So they're patterns within us too in the body. And in acupuncture, it's one of the fundamental illnesses is when your body can it loses its touch with the blueprint of nature. Mm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a yeah. it's a crazy thought, but I think it'll make some sense to you. So there are sure. ways that you clear out and reconnect the body, the 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 intelligence of the body with the plan. So the plan's different. The ultimate design is always there. Now your body may not be in touch with it. It may have lost the design, you know, whether through a genetic mutation or epigenetic changes or dietary problems or toxins or Lyme disease or you know, depression, whatever that might be. But you can, those things can, you can reconnect instantly. And exactly. that's where some crazy healing happens. And I've heard this over the, the years of doing these interviews. People say, yeah, I don't know what happened, but, you know, there was just that moment. And all of a sudden, you know, everything's the same, but I felt empowered and I was ready to go. And that's when I started healing. It's like, boom, right. they're reconnected with the way things work. Well, exactly. And I think, and I, and I agree with you that there was a design. And at the same time that I think that, you know, I want to make a distinction because between natural laws and spiritual laws, because I think there, there are two separate things. But regardless, you know, we have been created to function optimally in certain circumstances and in a certain environment. And, but the highest thing that connects us all that, um, and this is why I'd say we were designed, you know, to live in a certain environment, but we were also designed to love, to give and receive love, and and God, to I, who I've discovered God to be, um, not what, because I believe God is an energy as well as a person, you know, but um, we're connected to be in relationship with, with our Creator, and because God is love, you know, that when, when we are live, when we live filled with love, then that is like the highest level of being that you can achieve. And so, um, and so, but, and then beyond that, you know, did, I believe that there were natural laws that were, were created for us to live according to, you know, like living in nature away from, um, not all these man-made electromagnetic fields and chemicals and stuff like that, eating real food, stuff like that. You know, those were natural laws that were established for our well-being. but the way we live today, and this is something else that I talk about in the book, um, you know, especially when you have a chronic illness, we live really disconnected from people. We live disconnected from love. And and so as a fundamental tenet of healing, I think it's really important for us to find connection, not only with God, but from, you know, uh, 
relationship, people around us, which I, I, I almost choke when I say that because it's like, you know, people, when you get sick, your relationships get affected. But as much as possible, you know, we're created for connection with other people. And so um, I, I also talk about ways to stay connected even when you're, you're really battling something serious. But I went in another direction there for a moment. I apologize. Well, that's that's fine. The the, the importance of connection, and this gets back to the, the depression. Is one of the things that happens with depression is we we start drifting away from these connections, and if you drift far enough, then all of a sudden suicide comes into the picture because, yeah. like, what's the point, right? Because mm-hmm. and that's that's a clear sign that uh, you've lost you've lost connections. Now that can happen quickly, like with a concussion or suicidal ideations with Lyme disease. So it can be organic, but it can be a function of just being sick for a really long time too. And people, you know, getting fatigued or whatever thoughts and feelings they have about you and them letting you go, or you're not putting energy into relationships because you can't. And there wasn't a whole lot coming from the other end to begin with. And, you know, all the mourning that goes on with that and the depression. And it, I mean, it's just, it's brutal. I, and some, Mm -hmm. some people can handle that. It's like, there there are always a few outliers, right? And and it's always like, why can't I be like that? But if you you look at, we have have a funny little herd. We've got about eight cows who who live on our property. And there's one of them who's just a lone wolf. (laughs) It just... It just doesn't care to be connected with the herd. Everybody else is like, you know, lockstep and they're hanging out together. And if one starts walking the other way, the rest will walk. And this one little bull, well, he's a steer now, but was a bull calf, just really doesn't care. But it's he's the oddball. You know, so, you know, people, there's some people who can withstand a little more isolation and it doesn't affect them as deeply. I'm not going to say it's going to affect them not at all, but as deeply, you know, in the old days, those people would be the the trappers, you know, they'd go off by themselves for months into the, Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. Canada or up in the Great Lakes and, you know, collect beaver pelts and then reappear, you know, with their families, you know, after months. And yeah. would just live with nobody, you know, literally nobody. It's and amazing. They, and they wouldn't go crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd go nuts. But that's not, you know, that's a special kind of person. Most people are in town. They need other people mm-hmm. around them. Yeah, they do. And I, you know, it's like, McKay, I lived in Costa Rica for a couple of years when I was really sick because I couldn't actually afford to live in the U.S. And I actually, I ended up having some great experiences there. But while I lived there, I didn't have a car and... And it rained a lot, and so I was isolated a lot. And you know, and it took time for me to make friends and stuff. And and it was like if I went more than three days without seeing people, I would just start to really get crippled by the depression. And um, and as you know, like you you know, you've said that having relationships when you become chronically ill can be, become challenging because typically, you know, people with Lyme will find that those that have been there for them are no longer, or they, you know, can't relate to them and support them as they need to. And so they end up making friends within the Lyme community and communicating through, um, you know, either through the telephone or Facebook or whatever it happens to be. And, and so I, and, and that's sometimes all you can do. Um, however, one thing that, I always encourage people is to have two sets of friends if you can, you know, those who can relate to your issues and that you can talk about your issues with, but then also just those that you can, you know, just um, talk about really superficial things with just to have an outlet where you can 
forget about what you're going through and knowing that they're not going to understand you, you know, but just people that you can do things with it or, or just being in relationships for the sake of thinking about, well, what can I contribute to this person's life without expecting them to understand necessarily what you're going through? Um, if that makes sense. And well, so that's it, for those that are able to get out. It you know? does. And my frame of reference is always Chinese medicine and theory. And in the relationship area, there, there are two functions in the body that, that govern relationships. And one are intimate relationships and not mm-hmm. necessarily sexually intimate, but just like mother child is a very intimate relationship. My twin daughters mm-hmm. have a very intimate relationship. Uh, but then there are also superficial relationships and it reminds me of, uh, we, we're in a small town and there's a small post office that I like to go to because there's a small town postmistress <laughs> who runs the oh. place every morning <laughs> yeah. from 8 a.m. to 11, the windows open. It's one of those kind of post offices, right? And, you know, we just struck up a, a super superficial conversation, but very pleasant and fun. And she, she, you know, she, she was all excited about her Halloween costume, what she was going to dress up her whole family, right? They're, they're all going to do it. They had a Star Wars theme going on in the family, including mm. the little baby. And she was so excited to show me the picture of it, right? And, yeah. you know, she since you know, moved to a different post office. She got a better job, so forth and so on. And, you know, I don't miss her because we weren't that close, but it's like those type of relationships too. I, I think we, you bring up a good point. We undervalue that mm-hmm. type of familiar neighborhood interaction that I, I think that's missing in kind of modern life anyway. Yeah. You know, you yeah, just, you don't sure. go, you don't get that going through the Dunkin' Donuts drive through You just, you know, maybe you do if something's extraordinary, but for the most part, it's just a voice on the other end and somebody different every day. But it used to be, you know, there was the butcher, there was the baker, there was the banker mm. that you would have mm-hmm. just some superficial contact with. And that's, that provides something for us. You know, that it's not nothing. It's not well, yeah. nothing. It, yeah. I, and I totally agree with you, McKay. And I think it also, it's, it actually adds something to our lives when we just seek to give something to someone else. And by give, I I just mean a smile or, you know, saying something to like compliment a person that you meet in the grocery store. And, um, and it, because I think we're created for, you know, giving and receiving love. And so even when you're really sick and you think, well, I don't have that much to give, you know, it's, it's not that hard for most of us to smile at somebody when we're out in public or, you know, just, um, on a day when you feel a little better, just go strike up a conversation with somebody in a coffee shop or something just to get, because it helps you to get out of the suffering and the struggle. And then, I mean, I'm always amazed at how much better I feel when, when I kind of step out of my comfort zone to contribute to someone else's lives. And I realize when you're really feeling bad, it's not, it's not easy by any means, but you know, just having that interaction, especially face to face as much as you can, because as you know, we live in a world where that's becoming scarcer and scarcer. It reminds me of an interview I heard several years ago now. And this woman, I believe she was an Olympic athlete she bumped her head on the cabinet door that her husband had left open, putting away glasses. They're both doing dishes. He leaves the door open. She stands up, bonks her head hard. And she gets a severe, severe concussion, like Lyme disease type neurological problems concussion. She Mm. ends up in a dark room 
and she can't even watch. She said the, the, the best I could do was watch reruns. I couldn't handle watching new shows. It was overwhelming. I could watch reruns. And finally, mm. one of the things that began to turn things around for her was was these, these small wins. So, so I think what the point I want to get to is one of the problems – with being so ill after, especially after being, you know, so many people really with Lyme disease for some reason seem to be high glutamate people. So they're type A, they're yeah. really accomplished, they're amazing people, and all of a sudden they're crashed with Lyme disease. So a big part of Lyme disease is like, no, who stole my life? You know, I can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And it's like you, your your whole life has been about not settling for small wins, going for big wins, and right. all of a sudden your life. So the point is, that what turned around this woman, it, and it's the brain retraining. We're going back to this brain retraining, right? The brain needs a little bit of dopamine. It needs a little win. But if you have these big goals, even mm-hmm. that you used to achieve, and now you can't barely do anything. Her sister finally came with this idea that the goal for the day was to see a cardinal outside her window. Mm, that wow. was it. I mean, wow. talking about small, but that was the level at which that was the playing field she was on. Yeah. And yeah. she saw it and it was like, it was a little win. <laughs> right. That's and so then they, interesting. then they, then they started building from there. But she was, she's an expert in, I'm remembering who she is. She was an expert in, uh, what's called gamification. So it's what the, what Facebook has built into Facebook is why we're addicted to Facebook is because it gives us little wins all day. Right. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's, but it's not, it's constructive necessarily. It doesn't lead you anywhere. I, I would say so. Th- what what so, so she got very interested in how the brain is uh, excited and he- in a healing mode when it when it has a little wind, the whole dopamine, little dopamine. So once there's a little place to stand on, then you can, you can start building bigger winds, and then things start moving in a, in the proper direction. So she's doing this in terms of you know game theory and people getting better at their jobs and all types of different things like that. But I think that holds true with with where we are or can find ourselves with Lyme disease is like, it's okay to have a really small goal. Like today I'm going to brush my teeth. Yeah. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. And not make it like a pressure or performance thing, because that's what landed a lot of us in this situation to begin with, you know? And, and I think just knowing like, and behind that, I think is this fear. There are fears, you know, we perform, we're type A because there's a fear of rejection by others. There's a fear of not surviving and and I think you know it's like good to tell your brain this is fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna be great. I'm gonna be fine no matter what I can or can't do today. And you know just like for me, I affirm my trust in God to work things out. And um and honestly, it's like McKay. I know I've been supernaturally sustained all the years I went through illness because I didn't have a lot of financial support or anything. And it's like things would just come my way when I just decided you know, to put my trust in God, it was like they, I would write at the last minute when I needed a job writing, it would just show up. And, and so I think that the more we can like release ourselves just to, um, you know, just, just stop making it, stop feeling like it all depends on us really, because I think that's where we get in trouble. But I like that idea because as you said, most of us are 
you know, a lot of us who have gotten sick are performance oriented achievers and stuff. And so when you, when you do things that feel like wins and they feel doable, then it makes you actually want to do more, right. Instead of pull back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, one, one last comment, and then I'm going to ask you, I'm going to set you up to tell the story and we, that you know that you're going to tell. <laughs> it's okay, a set up sure. people, but we, we, we planned yeah. this well in advance. It's a great story. I can't, can't wait to hear it again. <laughs> but there's this wonderful comment and, oh man, I, you know, me and names just don't get along. So I don't know who said this, but the observation <laughs> is that it's like when we, when we reach our goal, we look back and the path that we traveled, which full of dead ends, heartaches, switchbacks, this crooked path that we clawed our way through magically straightens out, right? And we get to the point where we write the book and say, oh, yeah, I just I did A, B, C, and D. And, you know, we may write about those things, but we tend to forget about all the 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 really the things that didn't work right the failures yeah. and it's so yeah. important now you talk about having faith in god and god is love but if god is love how come he lets us suffer and you know that question has to creep in at some point right and you tell this wonderful story where you're pulling off to the side of the road and you're having a moment with god so yeah. tell us what happened Sure. I was going to say, you want to talk about God and suffering, we're going to need all day interview for that one. I know. But, that's um, well, no. <laughs> right. People spend their entire life. So we're not going to go down yeah, that path. No, no, but, I, I, yeah, 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 no, no. But the, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. And so it is a challenging thing. And I'll just share, um, preface this by saying that I had a very negative view of God as creator because of things that happened to me in my upbringing. Okay. But there was something in me that just felt like, there was a God and then he wasn't just energy, but he was a person with a mind, well, and emotions. And I had, when I was searching for God, and I'm just going to give you just a kind of a quick background story here. Um, I had traveled the world. I'd been to over 50 nations and on um, just about every continent. And I, and I was reading the Bible and I said, okay, if you're, if this is true, you know, reveal yourself to me and I'll do anything for you as long as you give me peace. And I just, I mean, it was kind of like, Oh, just give me peace, show yourself to me. And I'll, I'll, it was, it was like a little negotiation. Right. And, and then, um, and over time I came to know God, not just as an energy, but as a person, as a person of Jesus Christ, father and Holy spirit. And I realized, you know, if that's not where you're at, that's, you know, I don't, everyone's on their own journey here. And, um, you know, the book, my book, Happy, Healthy, and Free, does talk a lot about my relationship with God based on Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However, there's also a lot in there um, on the other aspects of healing from depression. So if you don't want to go there, that's fine. That You can still learn a lot, you know, in the other parts of the book. But I want to encourage you to, even, even if you've been turned off by God or religion, to just read those sections anyway, because... I think you might find some pearls in there that will help you in your healing journey, regardless of what your faith is. And um, because they're like downloads that God's given me that are really universal truths. And you'll see that, um, you know, across a lot of faith systems. And so I just want to encourage you to read that and read it with a mindset of like, I'm not trying to put a religion in anybody's mind. I'm just trying to introduce you to the person that I know, to the three persons of the Godhead that I know. And in case there's something in there that, that draws you to him or helps you in your healing journey because um, 
anyway, I just, you know, I, I believe in a God that's loving and kind and good, but there are parts of me that have fought against that and not believe that because of wounding and trauma. And so here's, here's the story quickly. And that is that, um, you know, I, because of the things I went through because of Lyme disease, there was this one point in my journey where I was, um, driving in the car and, and I was just, I was so sleep deprived. I had gone through like years of sleep deprivation and I just was at my wits end. I mean, I was like thinking I'm ready to slip my wrist. I can't do this anymore. And I got out of the car and I just started yelling at God at the top of my lungs and, and cursing and just like, what do you want from me? What do you want? You know, really, really just mad and thinking everyone's going to think I'm nuts. And, you know, but I, I didn't care. I was in so much emotional and physical pain. And anyway, it was really funny because this cop walked over to me and asked me if everything was okay. And um, after that, I was on my way to a clinic and I got to the clinic and there was a lady there with breast cancer. And anyway, I ended up just feeling led to pray over her. So here I am. I'm just mad at God, mad as heck, but I know that God does healing miracles. So even though he hasn't yet done a healing miracle in me, I'm just going to pray over this person. So this lady's standing up and I lay hands on her and I pray over her and the power of God hits her so powerfully. She falls down and she starts to cry. And she just was like transformed by some experience of God working through me, even though I was just raging mad and saying hateful things to God five minutes earlier. I saw that God chose to use me in that moment to heal somebody, heal them, whether physically or emotionally. You know, I know she got touched emotionally, perhaps physically. And I've since seen a lot of healing miracles, both emotionally and physically. And so what that demonstrates to me is that God's love runs deep and his, it's patient and kind and, and it transcends what we think. And it's not based on our behavior. He, he just loves us, you know, and, and in my faith, he loved us so much that he sent a son to die for us on a cross. That's, and, and because of his death on the cross, we don't have to try to be perfect before him because he's already accepted us. And so when this lady got touched, I realized that there's nothing I could do to make God despise me or curse me or anything, you know, that, that he loved me simply because I had accepted Jesus and because and because I had said yes to him and it didn't matter what I would do. And if, and, 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 and funnily, it's interestingly enough, McKay, it's like, I believe he wants, God wants everybody to be well, but the path is different for all of us. And I don't believe it has to do with the willingness of our creator. It just has to do with us getting the roadblocks out of the way, which God will always help us to do. So anyway, that was just a powerful demonstration to show me that, well, God's not like your earthly father. He's not like these authority figures that have poorly misrepresented him. He's not like the religious zealots that, you know, that um, slaughtered the Indians here in earlier centuries. But, uh, it's, it's so, so anyway, that, um, is just something that, that I share with people just to encourage you if you feel like you've been let down. And, and if you do believe in God, I encourage you to, to be truthful with him and ask him more importantly, after you share your emotions with him, ask him to reveal himself to you, the truth of who he is. Um, because it's, it's very different most likely than, you know, what your chemistry is telling you or what those who the authority figures who hurt you have conveyed to you. So that's a very, very long version of that little story. <laughs> I have others like it too. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. I, it's so important 
to share the roadblocks and the dead ends and the struggles. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. not everybody, you know, chances are, if you're listening to this, you're either taking care of somebody who has Lyme disease or a professional like me who's devoted their life to taking care of people with Lyme disease, or you're struggling to put together some of the pieces, you know, on your, on your journey, on your Lyme journey. And in the beginning, nobody, nobody, I guess now's the time I'm going to bring this up. We've been, Aurora and I have been working on this Lyme journey roadmap. And we just, we realized after interviewing everybody that nobody zoomed out far enough to give the full map. Now they're Mm -hmm. wonderful, wonderful protocols, wonderful books like yours who cover huge chunks, huge chunks of recovery. But nobody's gone from the first step was, you know, from could I have Lyme disease to finally coming out the other end and deciding what, you know, once now, do I want to go back and contribute to the Lyme community or I'm just going to you know, walk away and wash, wash my hands and, and go back to a life. And there's so much that happens in between there. And they're twists yeah. and turns and switchbacks and, and dead ends. And we yell at God and we yell at ourselves and we yell at our doctors and we yell at the CDC and everybody, anybody else we can think of. You know, the list is, is endless because it's not a straight path, you know, and then we mm-hmm. hear the story about somebody who, you know, heals themselves and they do a one hour interview with me and it seems so simple. <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's not, it's painfully painful. And we don't have, you know, killing the bugs is one part. Getting mentally prepared to go into physical battle inside your body is another part. Getting your budget right is another part. Having a life, having a big plan so when the protocol fails, you've got a backup ready to go and all your eggs aren't in the, okay, the Cowden protocol is going to be it. Oh, the Buner protocol is going to be it. Oh, the, you know, going to go see Greg Lee and we're going to do whatever is Greg Lee's doing with essential oils right now. That's going to be it. It's like, you know, sometimes the things work and a lot of times they don't. And, yeah. and because yeah. we don't have a plan, we go from hope to hope. And so have, having faith in a God is in some way having a plan. Now it's a, a mega, mega plan, right? It's like God's got a plan for me. So therefore, you know, you know, yeah. and then, then yeah. God helps those who helps himself. There's always that, that part of the story as well. So that can sustain you through that. But it's like we, we need a roadmap of the ro- protocols. We need a protocol for the protocols. And then once maybe you do kill all the bugs or maybe you're winning with it right. and it's like the antibiotics aren't working anymore because there's no more bugs really to kill. They're all buried inside you somewhere and hiding right. out. And exactly. But you're still not feeling good. Maybe you're depressed. You know, maybe you've got yeah. oxalates. Maybe you've got something else has been triggered by being sick now for a dozen years and then you've got to figure that out nobody tells us that it's like one gee once i kill the bugs everything's going to be okay yeah maybe maybe not right right and then you start feeling better and then you've been now let's say you've been in like you were in costa rica you put yourself in a special healing environment you know you've put yourself in a healing bubble of some sort you've gotten rid of a lot of the friends who were no good for you you've You've, you know, surround yourself with people who can understand you, love you, and support you. You've joined Facebook groups that you like. You've gotten rid of the ones that you want and blocked people you really didn't like. And, and then all of a sudden, you have to go back in the real world where they're mean people. 
right? Right? And yeah, how do you deal exactly. with that? It's been 10 years and you've forgotten how to deal with those people and how upsetting it is. It's like, oh my God. And nobody prepares you for that, right? Exactly. We're not prepared. We're, we go and we, we just bump along. So I just want to spend this time acknowledging to all you regular listeners out there that we, we, I do understand. And it's a huge piece that's missing here. And we're not going to put together more information about this and really even organize our podcast about where this fits in this mega picture, you know, this protocol of protocols, you know, your Lyme journey. We talk about the Lyme journey, but nobody's got a map. So we're going to make a map. And kind of really your cool. your book fits so beautifully into so many parts of the map. It's it's a helpful you know to pick up at the beginning of it. You know when you're just dealing with oh my god I've got a chronic disease. When you're in the middle of it and saying oh my god how am I going to get through another round of antibiotics? Or at the end of it you say oh lord I made it through, right? But yeah. still I'm not feeling good and my life's a ruin. I don't have any money. I don't have any friends. You know, and now what? You know, now I'm really depressed because not because of the biochemistry, but because my life is kind of terrible right now. Exactly. And that's why I wrote the, this book, because I, you know, it's like, McKay, all these factors, you know, people start out by thinking, as you said, it's like that it's an issue of just getting rid of bugs. And and it and healing is about so much more than that. Most of my books, as you know, have been more medically oriented. And this one, Healthy, Happy and Free, is you know, only half of it, it focuses on the diet and the medical aspects. The other half of it is the lifestyle and the spirit. And, and I think that in the world we're living in today too, it's like, we have to go beyond the medicine. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's not only is it a toxic world, but it's becoming a real negative world. And so we need tools that, that, that supersede, um, just medicine, you know, medicine's great, but medicine is one tool in the box. And, exactly. and to me, honestly, I think exactly. it's a lower tool a lot of times <laughs> than, you know, not, not for everybody, but it's a lot of times it's a lower tool. It's a less important tool than having your spirit and your health and, and your mind and emotion strong. And, and, and a, a final thing I wanted to just add to that quickly too, which I didn't talk too much. We didn't talk much about is, is discovering your life's purpose, even amidst chronic illness, because I think when you have a purpose, to go toward that can help pull you out of illness, you know, to know why you were created, to know what you were designed to do in this world. I think that, you know, I've had doctors say over and over again that they see patients heal when they have a purpose. And so yeah. in the book, I talk a little bit about that as well, about, you know, how you can discover what you were made to do and that sort of thing. I'm going to wrap up with one very, very short story. One of my first yeah. patients was a elderly woman with arthritis. This is down in Southern Maryland. And, you know, we usually think of purpose as, you know, a big, noble quest, right? Yeah. Her, her purpose was the bluebird family who lived outside her kitchen window. Oh. That's what okay. got her up in the morning. And That's sweet. it struck me at some point in, in working with her because I had some other patients who didn't have a purpose and she was in more pain than they were, but her life was better. And it was simply mm. because she had something to get her up in the morning. Wow. That's awesome. So, isn't that amazing? So we, you know, we think of purpose of being, you know, and, and that's why pets could be so wonderful too, right? They give us something yes. outside herself to live for. So whether it's a parakeet, I have a turtle, JR. JR is low maintenance. Oh. <laughs> And, you know, thank goodness, because he, he can survive my level of care. <laughs> but, oh, you know, it can be, it can be anything, but out, out, 
the purpose. It doesn't have to be I'm going to change the world or save the world or change myself or, or or save myself. It can be something as small as, gee, I wonder what those, you know, the, the family of, of bluebirds is up to today. So with right. with that note, I'd like you to give us the details about your book, where you can buy it, your websites, all that kind of good sure. stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I accidentally let my ConnieStrassheim.com expire, so I think <laughs> now you have to go to <laughs> – and somebody bought it, and then they you, wanted 500 Oh, no, you let it go. That I've let mine expire, but I always could get it back. You yeah, okay. Somebody bought yeah, so you? I have to, yeah, and I, you know, I may actually be able to get mean. it now. It's funny. I, I'm sorry. What's that you cut out? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. That's just mean. <laughs> I know. It's just not nice. But anyway, so now I'm ConnieStrassheim.org. And um, the book is Happy, Healthy, and Free Spirit, Soul, Body Solutions for Healing from Depression. And I've also just released my book on sleep. I have a book on sleep, which you interviewed me on a couple of years ago, yeah. that was available as an ebook. And I've also just made that into a hard copy. And it's called Beyond a Glass of Milk and a Hot Bath, Advanced Solutions for People with Chronic Insomnia, because that was another part, one of the big things I battled and learned a whole lot about. And that's also available at ConnieStrassheim.org. And you can go to Amazon, although if you order from me, I can sign your book for you. And um, it ends up being about the same price. So, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I hope that I just want to just say the final word of encouragement to everyone that there is hope that um, I was very, very sick for a long time. And, you know, I still have some minor health issues, but I'm just, I am nowhere where I was 15 years ago when I first got sick and um, that it is possible to, at the very least, manage depression. I believe it can also be overcome and, and this book is really the compilation of what I've learned over the last 15 years, not just out of my own personal experience, but what I've learned from doctors and lots of years of medical research, my relationship with God and many things. Because, you know, I kind of, if people say I'm interesting because I am not only into the medical side of healing, but I'm on the divine healing side of things because, you know, um, we host a prayer conference call group for those who are chronically ill. And and so I've I've I've, I've continually sought God for you know, how we can be healed supernaturally and through relationship with him as well as medically. And I think, I think the whole picture is important. So anyway, I just want to kind of say that as a final word to anyone who may be struggling, let you know there is hope. Connie, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you, McKay. It's been an honor to be here and to chat with you today. So I have a question for you. All right, shoot. In this episode, there's a lot of talk. We You talk a lot about spirituality and how that there is a path to recover from your mental illness and mental difficulties that you're having. And if you're in the middle of such an episode, and I have a lot of sympathy because this happened to me two weeks ago and it felt like the world was ending for a little bit. It can be hard to see that there's a way out. So what what do you say to that those kind of people? What do you say to people in that situation? That is the million dollar question, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, when you're really in the depths or you're stuck in a loop, then there's no way back in, right? There has to be some some break some, I'm going to call it divine intervention, right? Something has to change. Something has to shift. 
the, the goldfish has to jump out of the water for a second and say, oh, my goodness, I'm in water. I mean, that's what happened with me when I was depressed in college. Mm. It's the same sort of thing. It's like I had no idea. And then finally, the depression started lifting for whatever reason. Spring came, the sun came out, whatever. Yeah. They changed food in the cafeteria. Who knows? Anyway, I started feeling better and look back and say, oh, my goodness, I was a mess. Right? Yeah. So when you're in it you're in it and you you're fighting for it sometimes we realize that something doesn't feel right and that's the little gap that you need to begin to try and change things because that's what happened to you right yeah yeah so what i mean what did you do to get out of it well luckily for me we figured out a few supplements that really help with the kind of balancing some neurotransmitters and but, help with some inflammation yeah but, but yeah 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 but why but you weren't taking them. No. Right? So it's well, not like you take them all the times, and then you start feeling junky, and then you don't want to feel better, or you feel like you can't get better, and you don't want any help from anybody. But what changed that you actually reached for the bottle of supplements that you hadn't been taking in whatever, month, two months, whatever it was? Honestly, yes, it was honestly. you It was you asking me if I was having a <laughs> breakdown. Oh. and. I could answer, wait, actually, yeah, I am. <laughs> I really am. The truth shall set you free. <laughs> so you think that was like like strategic planning that I had this whole intervention thing? No. No, just, no. I was just concerned about you. It was just care. It was probably more the emotion of the moment, Aurora, than mm -hmm. it was the actual words. Yeah. You know, so that's a father's love and care for his daughter coming around. And so maybe that able to – Get a little bit, oh, maybe I am lovable <laughs> after all or something like that. Who knows? I mean, it's it's such a difficult thing. That that people do get out of depression is similar to hopeful stories that people get out of Lyme. It is possible. And this goes back, you know, we're going to put together this Lyme journey roadmap. You know, everybody's on their Lyme journey, but nobody gave us a map. Well, we're going to create a map. We're actually going to do this. And one of the first steps on this road to getting out of Lyme disease, getting Lyme free, is getting a ninja mindset, right? A warrior mindset that you're going to get through this no matter what, and you're not going to give up. And that's what has people try and try again. You know, fall down twice, get up three times kind of mental attitude. And... It's tough, and there are times where you need to have people around you who can pick you back up because you can't do it anymore. And that's part of the Lyme journey, too, is to make sure you're surrounded by people like that. Uh, there are no easy answers. There yeah. are absolutely no easy answers. So, if you're going through something similar, we do sympathize. Hang in there. It will lift. Yeah. All things change if left alone. The seasons change. Weather changes. Nature is change unless it's unless we're doing something hard to stick it into place. Or you've got Lyme disease. <laughs> Lyme disease is that's why it's so problematic. Is it it's like glue, you know, it's like inflammation glue. And then once the inflammation is stuck, then all the damages starts happening. And that's why so many people are so sick after they clear the bacteria. Or get on top of the bacteria, whatever that is. Is there still all this inflammation that's either still going on, stuck in the loop, or if it's calmed down as well, 
the damage from the inflammation. It's like the hurricane comes by and then they have to clean up. Just because the hurricane's gone doesn't mean you're out of the out of the deep end of the pool yet. On that cheery note, <laughs> there is hope. That's the main point. There's a way out. Just don't stop working, looking, trying things to find a way out. If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, please hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. And if you really like what we're doing, leave us a review on your podcast app. It helps us reach more people like you. And if you really, really like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, share this with a friend. You just might save their life. Also, do you have any feedback, suggestions for guests, really anything? Send an email to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. Yes, please keep the feedback coming. We love it. I love getting emails about Lime Ninja Radio and ideas for guests and ways to improve it. We know we're not perfect. We're doing our best. There was a comment about sounds coming through. We do our best with the sound. It's really tough. We try to clean things up as best we can. Sometimes the phone connection through Skype is not good. Sometimes it's rock salad. It sounds like you're in the room with the person. Other times it sounds like an alien transmission with a lot of static. Let's just say that. Anyway, we do we do our best, and, and we acknowledge that at times we fall short. But we're trying, and we're looking for ways to make it better. If you have suggestions for us, please let us know. Yes, please. And last and finally, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast will would not end. It would go on forever. We would just keep talking. But luckily, we have a stop the Lime Ninja Fact of the Day. So, Aurora, what is the Lime Ninja Fact of the Day? Did you know ninjas can make a watched pot boil? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.